You are tuned in to the new Numa Godcast, hosted by Norman Brown, aka Professor, and Justin Foster, where we address the taboo from a biblical view. Our podcast is all about real talk with new life. And quite frankly, you'll either love it or you won't, because we deal with tough topics that the church rarely touches. Somebody's got to do it, and that's why we exist. So just sit back, chill. And enjoy the ride. This is gonna be good. Peace. Imagine having a father who you trusted, dedicated your life to, and shared some of the most important years of your life's development, only to find out that he was fake the whole time. Imagine how devastated you would be if that same father told you that there was no place found for you where you had faithfully served with blood, sweat, and tears for seven years only to have some of your deepest dreams dashed against the rocks. I'm Norman Brown and I'm the author of the book entitled Among the Wolves. For seven years, I endured one of the toughest training periods of my life. Ironically, it wasn't until it was over that I realized what happened during that time. And that is what I felt when I discovered that I had been in a false prophet's domain. Or in other words, I was among the wolves. Among the Wolves would challenge you to see when you have encountered a false prophet, false doctrine, or just plain error. It exposes some of the most prominent cults that exist in the world today, and by the Holy Spirit, it will bring you to a place of healing and forgiveness. Among the Wolves is available on Amazon.com for the Kindle app, which may be downloaded on almost all electronic devices. My prayer is that you will find freedom from bitterness, hate, anger, and unbelief as you read this book. Get your copy today. Yo, I don't know what it's like to be addicted to pills, but I do know what it's like to be a witness to kills. Mama told me she loved me. I'm thinking this isn't real. I think of you when I get a whiff of that cigarette smell. Yeah. Welcome to the bottom of hell. They say pain is a prison. Let me out of my cell. You say you proud of me, but you don't know me that well. Sitting in my room, tears running down my face. Yo, y'all know what it is. It's the Double P New Numa Godcast. I'm your host, Norm the Professor. And your boy Jay Foster. Yeah, that's what's up, man. So you know what it you know how we do here. You know, we address issues that are taboo from a biblical view. So we're gonna get right into it, man. The last time we were here, you know, we were talking about abortion and um, we touched on a few things. We talked about, you know, everybody has a choice, um, and choice is not the real argument. And we even touched on a few other things to really kind of get this subject started. But uh, we're going to continue on that same subject today and just go a little deeper. So the first thing that we want to start on is uh, um, most of you probably are aware of the fact that New York and Virginia recently came out with some laws and stuff like that, um, that they have been celebrating and all that. And I hear there's another state I don't remember what state, but I heard it was another state that's also talking about this. Mm. And um, I remember just a couple of days ago, I was hearing about it. But um, ironically, for those that have been paying attention to TV or even movies or stuff like that, then you will know that there's also um, uh, there's a movie that just came out called Unplanned. Now, I mean, I know you heard about it, Jay, because you sent me that article about it, man. Um, and it's really interesting because the timing of it is definitely divine. Yep. This is not a coincidence that it's coming out right now. 
ironically, um, and I know that, you know, this is something that it's a season. We're in a season where this is the thing that God is really concerned about. Now, ironically, I wrote a poem 2002 about abortion. And then over the years, I noticed the reaction that I would get to it and all get because of it. And um, back then, um, in 2003, March of 2003, when I went to a, a, a slam poetry contest, that was one of the things that the Lord wanted me to spit that night. And I did. And as a result, there's a child that's about 16 years old to this day that's alive because of wow. that poem. And if that child isn't 16 yet, they'll be 16 soon because at that time, the mom wasn't really showing. Yeah. Um, the mom told me she had been contemplating abortion for three weeks. And she was like, after hearing your poem tonight, she said, before hearing your poem, abortion was an option. But after hearing your poem, uh, it's no longer an option. Mm. And that really changed my life because that was actually the first time that um, I cried when I tried to spit a poem. Wow. First time ever in my life. The Lord showed up so strong that day, I found out that six women were weeping the whole time. And then even this um, young lady, when she came around the corner um, after the event was over, this, is, this was at least probably 40 minutes later or something like that, after I had done my stuff and I had been away from the mic, it was about 40 minutes later and the show finally ended. And when she comes around the corner, she had tears streaming down her face still. Mm. So I know the Lord showed up. Yeah. And I can tell you from I can tell you from experience that when that happened that day, um, and I'll just kind of give you a little couple of details of what happened. I had just driven from Georgia to Washington, DC. It was a 12 hour drive. When I got to DC, I was going straight to the Poetry Slam contest. Yeah. When I get in there and I do my thing after I did my thing, or while I was doing it rather, in the poem about abortion, after I probably spit about like 10 lines, eight lines, something like that, um, all of a sudden I started weeping. Mm. And I could not stand up and do the poem. I felt the spirit of God on me strong. And I went down to the floor. I was on one knee. Mm. I had one knee up, one knee on the floor. I had one hand on the floor, one hand on the mic. Mm. And my head was down like this. And all I would do was say one line. And then I would weep again. And I would say another line. Yo, I did this the rest of the poem. Mm. And that poem just straight through no interruptions is about four minutes and change. With interruptions like that, it probably lasted about 15 minutes. I don't even know. I wasn't keeping up with time. I was just doing my thing. And when I finished, I needed like five people to pick me up off the floor. I couldn't stand up on my own. They walked me to the bathroom. And when I got to the bathroom, I was in there for another 15, 20 minutes crying, asking God, why am I crying? What's up with this? I never had this happen to me before. And I'm up here like trying to stop the tears and they would not stop. I had no reason to be crying about it because number one, I had never had anything to do with an abortion in my life. So it wasn't from a personal experience. This was from God putting a divine thing on me, man. And yeah. it was crazy powerful. 
So then, like I said, fast forward, like I said, about 30 minutes after that, I'm out in the you know general area, whatever, um, and this woman, she walks around a corner and she sees me. She's got tears streaming down her face. She asks, can I talk to you? And I'm like, sure. Then that's when she tells me everything like that, man. So like I said, this is now, that was 2003. We're now 16 years later after I was at that place. Yeah. So that child will be 16 years old this year. So, you know, praise God for yeah. that. You know what I'm saying? Amen. But um, basically um, today, just to kind of continue on what we were talking about, because this is a uh, very heated subject on both sides. Um, but not only that, but this is something where um, I personally, you know, feel strongly about what God wants me to do as it pertains to this. Because in my poem that I wrote, um, there was a line, there was two lines. One says, um, I, um, I speak these words for the babies whose words can't be spoken. Yeah. So I guess that would make me the aborted baby spokesman. So that's where I feel, you know what I mean? It's like God just had me prophetically to write that, you know? Yeah. And I feel really strongly about that. You know, every woman that has a child, their child comes into the earth with an answer. An answer to a problem that we have. Mm -hmm. Every child is an answer to a problem that we have. Yeah. That's the way people have to really see it. And then I can't remember, I think it was um, some guy that I'm um, following on Instagram. He said... Only humans kill their young from the womb. Mm. <laughs> He's like, we're the only ones. And then even if you go in nature, typically um, the only way a, a mother or whatever will kill her young is if she's starving, like literally starving so much that she can't even survive herself or whatever. And that's the only way that they would even do that. But otherwise... They are always trying to protect their young. Mm -hmm. They are looking forward to having their young. And it's crazy how when I look at human beings, because they have the ability to think and to be like God, they think they know better than God now. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? That's what it really comes down to. They think they know better than God. So I'm going to change my body in this way. I'm going to change that over there. I'm going to cut this off and, you know, sew that up. This, You know, whatever. Like, it's like all this craziness that they're doing to their bodies and then to their lives and then to society. Mm -hmm. So now, like, I heard somebody, I don't know who said this, but it's like, where is this all going to? Is it now going to be, oh, pedophilia is okay now? We're going to make that a law that it's okay? Oh, and then we'll say, oh, you can marry an animal if you want to. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you can, and that's fine, you know? Like, that's where it's going, basically. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, it doesn't, God, he made certain parameters for life. Satan always tries to make us go outside of those parameters, bottom line. Yeah. No matter what way. So, um, choice versus life argument. So, um, I want to hear what you got to say about that, um, Jay. Yeah. Well, when it comes to choice versus life, you know, like we were kind of discussing last time, it seems to be, um, 
it seems to be interesting because we wouldn't call it what it is. You know, I don't think anybody likes saying uh, life versus death, but <laughs> that's what it is. I mean, because life is not the opposite of choice. You know, in fact, no one can have a healthy life without having choices. And those choices, you know, like we talked about, have consequences. You know what I'm saying? So, like, freedom is not the lack of restrictions it's having the proper restrictions you know having like you said the proper parameters in place you know any football game you have to have an out of bounds line you know you have to have yards you have to have rules for fouls and all of those rules are set in place to make the game fun to make it enjoyable mm -hmm. so we're not saying you know we're taking away anybody's choice what we're saying is that life is sacred and no one has the right to to violate another human beings, whether they're born or unborn. You don't you don't have the right to impose yourself over another entity over their right to life. It doesn't matter if that that right is just beginning or um, has begun. Um, life is is sacred, you know. And you can and we don't have that authority to take it away. You know, we just don't. It's like saying, um, you know, as long as I want to. I have the choice to kill somebody. <laughs> I mean, it sounds funny, but it's, that's, that's basically what we're saying. We're saying that I should have the right to kill someone if I want to. And I think as, as, as hard as that sounds, I think that's what it boils down when we get past all the surface level arguments. We're saying a woman should have the right to kill another entity, whether that entity is fully developed yet or not. They should have the right to kill another entity as long as they feel it's their choice. And I think that's a very dangerous place to be because, like you said, what if people start to make that same argument of choice for things like sexual acts with children or um, uh, riding down the street? Oh, I should have the choice to drive 90 miles per hour. And like, mm -hmm. like that, it's such an absurd argument to me because saying that I should do something because I'm free to is basically creating chaos. So. Exactly. And because basically what people are saying is you shouldn't put any rules around my life. Right. Let me do whatever I feel like doing. That's really what they're saying. And if every man is right in their own eyes, like the Bible says, then it doesn't matter what you come up with in your mind that is evil, twisted, sick. Somebody thinks that's right. Yeah. Somebody has it in their mind that that's okay. Yeah. So the bottom line is, are we going to say because you think it is okay that's really what it comes down to are we saying that no matter what you think it's okay because you think it yeah so the thing is is that like um and i, I think i might have talked to this talked about this with my kids the other day but anyway i was talking about how there are restrictions on things in life for a reason and the restrictions are not to keep you from having fun Mm -hmm. The restrictions are to protect you. There are certain places that you won't go off a cliff when you realize that after you go off the cliff, you won't see another day. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. You realize, oh, that's why they have the chains there and the barricades and all that to keep you from falling over the side. Yeah. Okay. That's not there to keep you from having fun. And like, say, man, I want to be free to jump off the cliff, you know? Like, that's dumb to even think that. Yeah. So, and here's, a, here's the thing. It's like, okay, let's just say you want to jump off a cliff, but you have a parachute. Well, then fine. You got a parachute. You've put a, a, something in place where you know that you shouldn't be dying because you jumped off the cliff. 
But if you don't have the proper things in place, the proper precautions and things of that nature, then when you jump, you're dead. Yeah. And so now you'll see why they had the chains up and the barricades and all these things blocking you from getting to the edge. It wasn't because they were trying to keep you from enjoying everything that life has to offer. Right. You know, so that's where I feel like, I mean, even when you're talking about kids with their parents, parents give certain parameters to their kids, not because they're not trying to let their kids have fun, but because they realize kids can't think about certain things in advance for themselves because number one, they never faced that before. Number two, they don't have experience. Number three, their mind doesn't think about stuff like that because they'll do whatever because they just think everything's going to be fine. You know, mm -hmm. they in their mind, they could be like the cartoon, jump off a building, hit your head on the, on the ground, and you just have something spinning around, and then you get back up and say, okay, I'm ready to go. Yeah. They would think that's what it is in real life. They don't never see anybody dying on a cartoon. Yeah. They could fall off a cliff, and they just hit the ground, and then they'll get up, whatever, and then they'll get back up, and they'll start, you know, doing what they do. So the thing is, is that um, parents have certain things that they got, they have guidelines on what their children can and cannot do. And God has guidelines on what we can and cannot do. Yeah. He is our father. And to those of you who think there is no God, he's still your father regardless, or rather he's your creator. Let me say it that way. Yeah. He's your creator no matter what you think. <laughs> yeah, amen. It doesn't matter how you look at it. He's your creator. Right. And he has certain laws in place for a reason. And here's the thing. It's like, for instance, like if there were laws, for instance, that said, if you fly, then you cannot do certain other things. Like, I mean, I'm sure there are there is some kind of law that says that in some kind of way. But bottom line is because of gravity. There has to be a law that supersedes gravity. Mm -hmm. What law is that? It's called the law of lift or aerodynamics. When you get that speed up and you do the wings a certain way and all that, you can go up in the air. Now you can fly. Right. And as long as you stay in that speed and all that, you'll be in the air. So the thing is, is that that law had to be greater than the law of gravity. But as soon as that law is not activated anymore, the plane drops because mm -hmm. the gravity takes over now. See? And that's the way everything works in life. We have certain laws that supersede other things for a reason. But when there's no longer a use for that law, now we got to submit to the other law. That's basically what's happening even in science. So, yeah. um, so not to belabor that point. Um, so when it comes to choice uh, that a person has, like I think you brought this out last week, like, yeah, you can choose to do whatever you want, but that doesn't mean there aren't consequences to it. Right. Yeah. You could choose to murder somebody, but that doesn't mean you won't go to jail. Yeah. You know, that doesn't mean that you're not going to be getting an electric chair or something like that. But yeah, mm -hmm. you had the choice. You could do it. Yeah. yeah. You're right. And, you know, you just made me think because it's such a powerful thing. Like, I think another, like you said, where, where, a, where a parent gives his, their children, his or her children rules, it's actually to keep them safe, but it's also to give them the best quality of life. And I think that's such a powerful thing because I don't think, see, the, the thing is a lot of people are making an argument pro-choice 
But going a little bit further because, you know, um, people often say, well, a woman should be able to do whatever she wants with her body. Well, just think about that. If we are admitting that whatever is inside of her is a part of her body, then whatever she does to it, she's doing to herself. Mm -hmm. Now, that's just such an amazing thing because when you when she terminates whatever we want to call it, the fetus, the child, we're calling it a life, the a person, an entity sent by God into the earth. Mm -hmm. She's actually aborting. She's terminating a part of herself. And yes. it, it just reminds me of the scripture where it says like, you know, whatever a man does, he does to himself. Because yeah. I'm mean, to his wife, you know, he yeah, does to yeah. himself. Uh -huh. And in the same sense, whatever a woman does to her body, she does to herself. And so God actually is saying that um, by, by going through, I think one thing people are thinking about, what are you actually gaining? by keeping this child. I think people have been so blinded from that. They always think about, well, what are we losing? I'm losing my freedom. Um, I, may, I may have struggles providing for this child. It may be a challenge. I'm gonna be scared. I might be rejected by my family. Whatever it is, mm -hmm. um, I don't have a job right now. Whatever it is, but I think if people were to understand, like, wait a minute, what are you gaining by having this child? Because I believe, like you were saying, um, when a child gets sent into the earth with a destiny, the parent has to come up to such a level of maturity that that child will actually make them into a better person because of the character they have to have, the lessons they have to learn, the responsibilities they have to take on. And I think we're actually seeing that as a bad thing when actually that's a good thing because it makes you a stronger and a better person. Mm -hmm. So I, I think if we look at it like that, you're actually gaining more by going through than by having an abortion. Wow. Yeah, that's good, man. You know, um, so we didn't get a chance to talk about this last week, but the book of Psalms, um, maybe I don't know if you know where it is. Maybe you could look it up. But anyway, in Psalms, it talks about how we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm. And the thing is, is that if I remember correctly, I believe that word fearfully, it's almost like saying God made sure he didn't make a mistake when he was making making you. Wow. <laughs> like he was carefully making sure he didn't make a mistake when he made you. Mm. And the thing about it is, if you see it from that perspective, then you realize that every person has some unique thing about them that makes them stand out from everybody else. Now, we can even take it down to the fingerprints. We could take it down to the voice print. We could take it down to different types of uh, other aspects of our eye color, stuff like that. Different things that we can look at and say, these are the reasons why you're so unique that yeah. even down to that level, billions of people are on this planet, but you still have a unique design. Like, come on, man, think about that. And so the thing is, is that if people were to really think about how, how unique they are, they will realize that every being that comes into the earth, every baby has a specific purpose. They have a specific thing that they are here to solve. And um, and I've heard this from other people, but I say it all the time as well, that um, anytime you pray, God sends a person with the answer. Mm. You know, we don't know what form that may come in, but there's a person coming with the answer. Yeah. So, you know, you know, I. I mean, there's a lot of examples we could come up with, but instead of doing that, I'm just going to say it like that and leave it at that. But the, pro the thing that I really was trying to bring out anyway 
is the fact that your child has an answer. And one of the things I say in my poem that I wrote, I said, what if you had a disease and your baby had the cure? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a very valid question to ask. Yeah. Your baby could have a cure to your disease that you have. It could very well be that you're aborting your answer to your problem, your yeah. personal problem. What if your baby was going to be, I mean, instead of me using specific people's names, I'm just going to say a famous singer that's making millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And they would be able to do that by the time they were 12 years old or something like that, right? That means you literally would be benefiting from the fact that they are now a millionaire. Now your life is going to change for the better. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like, people don't think about those kind of things. Every time when they're in a situation, especially, and I know this from being in situations I've been in where finances are tight and stuff like that. When you're in a situation, it seems almost impossible to get out. Yeah. And sometimes you're looking at it like, man, God, where are you? What's what's going on? I don't understand why I'm having this happen. And, and I don't see how I'm going to get out of this and blah, blah, blah. And most of the time when people are in a situation, they're never thinking about what it's going to be like on the other side. Yeah. They're thinking about what's right in front of their face. And that's what's the most important thing. That's the pressing thing. And that's what's causing them to stress out. And I heard a man years ago that said, if you put your hand in front of your eyes, that hand is bigger than everything else in the room. <laughs> wow. As soon as you move it back, you see how it compares to everything else around you. So the only reason why it looked like it was bigger is because it's right there. Wow. Mm. You see what I'm saying? So once you remove the hand from in front of your eyes, now everything else looks bigger. And you're like, oh, so here's how that breaks down into real life. Your problem is your hand and your eyes. When you finally move that out of the way, you see God. Yeah. He's much bigger than your hand. That's the problem that a lot of us have. We see the, the thing that's the problem, so to speak, that is so big that we don't see how big God is. Yeah. So we make that thing bigger than God. But if we take it from in front of our eyes like that, now all of a sudden we'll see clearly. So, Amen. So that's that. Um, now, the thing about, um, I want to talk on um, Roe versus Wade real quick. So if I remember correctly, Roe versus Wade was a law that came into existence in 1973, I believe. And that was like, um, what, 46 years ago? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was 46 years ago. It's crazy. So over the last 46 years, it's been at least 50 million children killed. Mm. That's crazy, man. And that's 50 million answers that we no longer have. 50 million. As a matter of fact, if we look at America, and I believe if I remember correctly, I got those numbers for just America. So 50 million kids in America were killed. If 50 million kids were adults now, which a lot of them would have been adults by now, 
if we don't count the last, if we don't even count the last 10 years, or let's say the last uh, eight, uh, 18 years, let's say, if we don't count the last 18 years and we call everybody else, they're the adults, right? Then that means children born all the way, that there would have been children born all the way up to um, 2000, let's say, that could have been adults right now. And they would have been contributing to society in monetary ways through their jobs and stuff like that. That means that there would have been 50 million baby boomers that wouldn't have to work mm-hmm. to try to stay alive or whatever because they're not getting Social Security now. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because the thing that was keeping Social Security going is people working. And now because that's 50 million less people contributing, now that's suffering. Uh, the people that are older are suffering because they're not getting child, uh, the um, Social Security now. Yeah. So it's like what people don't realize is that your one thing that you made a decision on is actually affecting a whole lot of other things. Mm-hmm. You might not see it like that right now, but when you think about it down the road, if you were to think about it logically and really sit down and say, wow, this could have happened, that could have happened, this did not happen because of this and that, you know, if you really think about it like that, you can see that there's more to this than just you didn't get a chance to live out your life. Yeah. You wouldn't have got a chance to do this, that, and the third. Now you've affected a whole bunch of other people because let's say going back to that, you know, that example of a, a baby having the cure. Mm-hmm. Let's say one of those 50 million kids had the cure to cancer. Wow. How many people would have not now had to deal with cancer anymore? Mm, mm, mm. Right? That's one baby. 50 million people, definitely one of them had an answer to something. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, even if a person want to try to debate and say, well, 50 million people, we don't know if they really would have had, you know, 50 million, come on, man. Out of 50 million people, somebody had something. Somebody had an invention that would have changed everything. Somebody would have had some breakthrough in science. Someone would have had whatever. Yeah. It's a lot of things that we would have found out of 50 million people that were now taken off the earth. Yeah. So, um, the thing is, is that Roe versus Wade was bigger than just a law that was changed. It was a spiritual battle that was waged in the heavens. Mm-hmm. And the enemy was able to win, not because he's stronger than the, the Lord or because he's stronger than Christians or anything like that. I believe that it happened because Christians were not standing up at that time against this stuff. I believe because I know how Christians used to think back then. Mm-hmm. All of them were trying to go to heaven. They were waiting for a rapture. Yeah. This is a problem with that whole rapture stuff, by the way. And we'll get into that another time. But (laughs) for those of you that don't know, that word ain't even in the Bible. So let's just settle that right now. Secondly, uh, the story that people keep talking about with what's going to happen and all that, that's not in the Bible. People making it out to be something that is not. There's a very simple scripture that talks about that and I don't mean to get off on this trail but I just have to deal with it while I'm talking about it yeah. so that anybody who's listening won't get you know they'll just hear the word rapture and me saying that 
you know, whatever about it, and then they won't understand. But there's a scripture in the Bible, I think it's in Thessalonians, it says that at the last trump, that the angel's going to sound that last trump, and then it's talking about how we'd be caught up to meet him in the air. Here's what I found. So, before we go on, I just want to address that thing about the rapture real quick. I know that I kind of brought it up or whatever, and just so nobody would get anything twisted or whatever, just so I could give a quick explanation, and we'll get into it another time, but um, the thing about the um, what people call the rapture, it doesn't happen according to the Bible. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen the way people have been teaching it out here. What the Bible says is that there will be a trumpet that's blown. When this happens, people will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Now, to understand what that whole situation is talking about, first of all, it means that when you're caught up to meet him in the air, the Bible means the air as in the air that we breathe at mountaintop level and below. Mm -hmm. That is the air that we're caught up in. So if we want to be technical and just stick to what how that is defined, then that would mean that the saints are not going any further than as high as a mountaintop because that's where the air is at mountaintop level and then below. Mm -hmm. No matter how high that mountain goes, it ain't going all out to space. Right. So it's as high as that highest mountain on earth and below. So then let's look at the word meat. The word meat means to go out, get someone, and bring them back to where you just came from. Mm -hmm. It's the same word meat that was used when they went out to get Paul and they brought him into the city where they were. Stuff like that. So, the bottom line is, when we link that to what Revelation says about us reigning with Christ for a thousand years, how are we going to reign if we're not here? Right. There is nowhere in the scripture, and I challenge anybody... I don't care if they call themselves a scholar. I don't care if you call yourself a theologian. I don't care what you call yourself. Bishop, archbishop, anybody. I want you to challenge me on this. Where do you find seven years in heaven in the Bible? Tell me that. Let's talk about it because it ain't nowhere. Guaranteed. It's nowhere in the Bible. So anybody who ever listened to somebody talking that nonsense and they never ever give a scripture for it, but they always say it. They say, oh, we're going to be in heaven for seven years and da, 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 and then we'll come back down and it ain't nowhere in the Bible that says that. So anyway, I'm getting off track a little bit, but I just had to address that real fast, you know, while I'm thinking about it. OK, so we'll get into that another time. Like I said, um, I just wanted to touch on that real quick. Let it be known. And we'll keep it moving. So, going back to the Roe versus Wade, um, that was a spiritual wage, uh, a spiritually waged war. And the reason why it even was able to go through, I strongly believe, is because most of these Christians that were around had their head in the sand, waiting for Jesus to come back, talking about we about to be raptured. Everybody was talking like that. Yeah. So because they were so concentrated on going to heaven, like people say nowadays, they were so heavenly minded, they were no earthly good. Mm -hmm. A lot of people 
And I even was caught up in this at one point in time. I was caught up in this whole mindset of, what's the point of going to college if Jesus is coming back? Right. Now, that doesn't even sound like it makes any sense what I just said. When I look at it now, I'm like, how does that even equate? <laughs> like, why don't you do everything you can do anyway until Jesus returns? And the scripture clearly tells us, occupy until I return. That word occupy means to do business. Yeah. So he didn't say, wait for me to come back. He said, do business until I come back. Right. Do what you're supposed to be doing. Making disciples, expanding the kingdom, getting people to, um, to uh, you know, come to a place where they are, they are living a life of Zoe, Zoe life in God, things like that, man. That's what it's about. Yeah. And we do that until he returns. But the, again, because they didn't think about politics, they weren't thinking about, oh, we need to go into the government so we can change these laws or anything like that. They literally were just letting the whole world go to hell in a handbasket. And the only time that they would even deal with those people in the world typically was if they came to their church or if they happened to be on a corner with a bullhorn telling them how they're going to hell. Yeah. OK, <laughs> so all this stuff that was like in, in uh, ineffective. And was not causing anyone to feel like, oh, yeah, I really want to be a Christian because that means my life is going to be, you know, I'm going to you know, have victorious life, uh, uh, victorious life or whatever. Yeah, I'll have trials and tribulations, but I'm going to be able to overcome and blah, blah, blah. Right. That wasn't the mentality back then. And I heard it a lot of my childhood is hell is either heaven or hell and it was like some i forget what the um they would be like hellfire and brimstone that was yeah. the type of message back then hellfire and brimstone and please don't get it twisted obviously hell exists and anybody that tells me hell doesn't and they have read the bible they haven't read the whole bible obviously yeah I've had people that said they read the Bible that told me hell doesn't exist. And I'm like, well, then you didn't read the whole Bible then. Go ahead and look up the word hell and you'll find plenty of scriptures on it. So anyway, um, that's the one thing. But the other thing is that, um, again, people back then were so uh, thinking about just trying to get people saved and, you know, trying to tell them, you know, it's turn or burn and stuff like that, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. They weren't even thinking about doing anything with laws and legislation and, and, and getting into the government and changing how people think. That wasn't even on their agenda. Yeah. So now it's no wonder that we're so far behind on trying to get things changed. And all the while that we're doing what, what well, let me say it this way, all the while, while the church was doing that, People were creeping into the politics and they were getting more and more of their agenda out there. Yeah. That's why we're dealing with the gay stuff now. That's why we're dealing with the abortion stuff now. That's why we're dealing with the transgender now. All that stuff is because the church for so long was not involved in any of that. Now, thankfully, people are waking up. They're realizing we need to get in the politics. We need to get into the government, Congress. Um, be representatives, be congressmen, be mayors, be whatever that's going to affect laws. Yeah. Because like I heard, I think Lance Wall now said this, you cannot affect what you're not part of. 
Mm-hmm. So if you're on the outside looking at the NBA, you can't affect the NBA because you're not part of the NBA. What are you gonna do mm-hmm. if you're not even if you're not even a player, an owner, president, whatever? You have no say in the NBA. So you got to find a way to get in there and then have say. Yeah. So a person like Stephen Curry, Stephen Curry, rather sorry, Stephen Curry, he's in there and he's a believer. Now right. he has influence. He can make things happen in the NBA. Yeah. Maybe he's influencing other players to say, yo, man, I notice how you are. I've seen your life. I've been watching you for a while. Yo, I want what you got. Yeah. Tell me about that. Now he's got the ear of someone that's in that arena. Uh-huh. You see what I'm saying? These are how we get into places like that and affect people. So getting down to what the Roe versus Wade was about, it was an attack against God. Now why? When we think about Moses, think about Jesus. Those are the two biggest examples that we have in the Bible of when God was trying to do something significant in the earth. He had um, a certain leader coming into the earth. Mm-hmm. Now Moses was already born by the time the thing went out about killing all the boys. Jesus had already been born. Now that's the ironic thing about it. Um, and we can maybe unpack that another time, but they were already born, so the enemy's finding out after the fact. <laughs> now the enemy was like scrambling, like, oh no, no, I gotta kill him, you know? And so now he's trying to get everybody because he don't even know who it is. Yeah. See, that shows us the enemy is not as smart as he tries to portray himself to be. Yeah. He's not omnipresent, he's not everywhere at the same time, he doesn't know all things. He has to get information as people allow him to get information. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So my point is that here's Moses coming into the earth. He's already born. Now what's happening? Well, right around the time that he's about to be born, that's when the edict goes out or whatever that says, kill all the boys. And I think they even said back then, kill all the boys two years old or under. I think maybe even when Moses was being born. And then you got these godly women that's like, we're not killing Moses. Yeah. And then they put him in the manger and all that, or whatever that was. Was it a manger? Oh, the Nile. They put him in a river or something. Yeah, but was that a manger or that's just a basket or something like that? I can't remember. Oh, yeah, they put him in a basket or something. Okay, yeah. So anyway, they put him in that, put him in a river. Now, think about it. Just so y'all understand, this is Africa. Yeah. And the Nile River is where they got a bunch of alligators. (laughs) That kid would have been, you know, meat, food for one of them alligators if it wasn't for God. So he was put in a situation where he could have been killed at birth and then killed on his way down the river. Wow. I mean, that's crazy, man, when you think about that. Yeah. The bottom line is God was preserving that baby. Now, unfortunately, there were so many other babies that were killed as a result of this demonic attack. It was a demonic influence on the leader of the country. Now we hear the same thing years later, hundreds of years later, or whenever, when Jesus comes on the scene, and now Jesus has been born, and now Herod hears about the king of the Jews, and he's like, oh no, can't have no other king. Yeah. Now he wants to kill Jesus. But in order to kill Jesus, he's trying to kill everybody that is his age to make sure he gets the right one. Yeah. See, here's the thing. 
And I'm not saying that there was only one because I don't believe that. However, because we look at this biblical example of Jesus and Moses, we see that even if there was just one specific leader that God was trying to get into the earth, the enemy tries to take everybody out so he can get to the one. Yeah. That's the bottom line. And all I can say is I thank God that my mom was not one of those people that decided to get rid of me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, the thing is, is like, and I think you brought this up the last time. This is so interesting. The ones who argue about who should be in this earth or not, they're in the earth already. Right. Yeah. So, like, so should we now decide to take you out since you think it's okay to take out a baby? Why don't we decide to take you out? Matter of fact, yeah. let's take out all the old people because we don't need them anymore, right? They're just in the way. They're just wasting our money. We might as well. I mean, you know, it's a financial burden on you, isn't it? Yeah. That's how silly this argument sounds. Because what it's saying is that you could just decide who deserves to live or not. And then if you could do it with a baby, then you could do it with an old person. You could do it with a black person. You could do it with a white person. Anybody you decide, you can say, I have decided you don't deserve to live. Yeah. That's what this comes down to. Right. Yeah. And again, Roe versus Wade was not just some political thing. This was a spiritual thing. Mm -hmm. The enemy was trying to take out kids that had answers that God was trying to bring into the earth to do some specific work. And he succeeded with those 50 million kids, unfortunately. Yeah. Who knows who was among those 50 million kids? Yeah. And there's only one thing. I almost don't even want to say it on this program because I don't want anybody to think that they have a valid reason for murdering a baby. But there's only one thing that somewhat made me feel better when I heard it on, um, I don't know who I even heard it, who... I don't know who I heard say this, but they said how they prayed and they asked God, what about my brother that died at birth, right? Yeah. What happened to their anointing, their assignment? And then God said, well, I'm placing it on you. Yeah. For you to continue that, for you to, you know, um, deal with that or whatever. So it's possible that God has placed mantles on the lives of people that were alive, yeah. that should have been on people that were killed. It's possible because God still needs that assignment to be carried out. Yeah. Okay. Um, however, that definitely does not give you any reason or any uh, permission to take the life of a child in any situation. Yeah. It still doesn't give you the right to do that. It does not give you the permission to do it. Mm -hmm. um, I, Because, you know, this whole thing about rights, you know, like um, we can get down to what the Bible says and about like, let's say, for instance, um, I'm trying not to go into certain subjects too much because I want to deal with them in another podcast. Yeah. But let's just say I'm going to make up a scenario and I'll say, like, let's say, what if the Bible said uh, 
You don't eat bubble gum on Saturdays, okay? Right. I know this sounds stupid and silly, but I'm just trying to use it as an example. But you say, well, what about Bubblicious? <laughs> <laughs> I can't have Bubblicious. I mean, I can understand, you know, double mint and spearmint and all that, but Bubblicious? Come on, what's wrong with Bubblicious? But God said, no bubble gum. That doesn't mean one kind is over another. It means all of them. Yeah. So what people think is they have a right to go ahead and get whatever bubblegum they want to, you know, try on that day. They just won't do the other ones. Right. But God didn't say that. God said none of them. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's the thing where they have the right. You have the right to go out here because God obviously gave you the right. He made you like him. He made you be able to make decisions and choices. That's why we are now living in a world of sin because God could not change or alter the decision that Eve and Adam made. He had to let it, he had to let it play out the way it was going to play out. Why? Because he no longer had authority in the earth. They did. Mm -hmm. All he could do was sit back and watch, watch it happen. People wonder, and I, I hear people say this a lot, well, why didn't God stop Eve and why didn't he stop Adam and all that stuff, right? First of all, he already gave them the law. Yeah. He told them what it was. Now, I will say this. People might, um, people, you know, if you know what the scripture says, you'll see where the Bible says Eve was deceived. Mm -hmm. Okay? But Adam was not. Now, some people who are chauvinistic will look at that as see men are better than women <laughs> you know but that's not what it means it's not what it's pointing to what that shows is how the man did not do what he should have done to tell his wife what God said what the vision is what we're supposed to be doing what we're not supposed to be doing he obviously did not properly teach his wife yeah he was not properly giving her information so now because she didn't have the information, the enemy knew who was the weaker one. He knew who the one was that he could go to and trick because she didn't know any better. Yeah. Not only that, but it's also that whole thing about who gets the direct who gets the direct information versus who's getting it indirectly. So if you tell me something, you say come to the house at five, and then I tell Jerry, hey Jerry, Justin said come to the house at five. Okay, in that situation, I might get it. But later on, because it wasn't said directly to Jerry from you, maybe he'll be like, wait a minute, um, was it five or was it six? Wait a minute, I don't remember now. You know what I'm saying? Now he's questioning. Now the enemy comes along like, you know he said six o'clock, right? <laughs> he really said six. Yeah, you, you heard it right, six. Oh, Okay. Now, I don't really know because I wasn't told directly. Now, that's not the greatest example, but let's just put it like this. If I tell you five o'clock and then now a week later, I never spoke to you again. And then somebody else comes to you. Hey, what time did he say that thing starts? And you'd be like, oh, man, I don't remember. Um, I think he said six. Yeah. Now, because you think he says six. Now, somebody can come along, and convince you that, yeah, it's six o'clock. Or they can know that it was five and they'll come along and say, yo, nah, he didn't say five o'clock, he said six. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah. That's what Satan did with Eve, I believe. Because mm -hmm. 
Eve was not there when God said what not to do with those trees. Mm -hmm. Adam was. So Adam heard the instructions, but instead of him actually clearly communicating that with his wife, he, he obviously didn't. And then when she gets into the situation where the enemy approaches her, now she's getting deceived because he twists the words and he would be like, did not God say, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That kind of thing. It's always like that. He always comes to the one that doesn't know the fullness and he tries to take them and deceive them and all that. But if you know, you can't be deceived. That's why the Bible says Eve was deceived. Adam was not. So yeah. in other words, Eve didn't go knowingly saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to break God's law and eat this fruit. That's not what she did. Right. I also believe that's why God didn't show up right away. Mm hmm. Because she didn't do it knowingly. She didn't knowingly break God's law. Yeah. She thought that she was okay. Mm -hmm. But Adam knew he was breaking God's law. Wow. And he did it. He didn't even stop his wife. He didn't even say, it, it's almost like it's too, <laughs> it's kind of a couple ways to look at this. And I know this is kind of getting off the subject of abortion, but I feel like this must be something God wants us to talk about right now. Yeah. Um, but it's almost like there's two, two types of scenarios that could be going on here. One is Adam wanted to see what was going to happen. I hate to say it that way, <laughs> but it's like Adam in his mind is like, well, what's really going to happen if we eat the fruit? Let me see what happens to Eve. And he looks at her because he said, God said, we're going to die if we eat of the fruit. Let me see if she dies. <laughs> Oh, she didn't die. Okay, well, then I'll eat the fruit, too. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. It could have been that, or it could be that he saw her, and he was like, oh, no. And then he was like, you know what? I'm not going to let you die alone. I'm dying with you. Yeah. Like, that kind of loyalty to her, that commitment to her, he's like, no, we're both going to die then. I'm not living without you. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? I hope it's the second one. I really hope it wasn't the first one. We don't know. We never will know unless the Bible has it hidden somewhere in some little. Yeah. But I doubt that it was the first one. I think it was the second one where he saw that she made that mistake, even though the Bible makes it sound like he was actually there when it happened. Right. So that even still makes me wonder. You know what I mean? Yeah. But anyway. But just to kind of piggyback off of that, because I think that that really made me think of something that was so part that's so powerful when it comes to the man and the woman. Um, just for those listening to realize that men are just as accountable for abortions as the women are. I mean, I mean, and I know um, that's crazy because I feel like a whole generation of women have been deceived by Planned Parenthood, by these abortion industries saying there are no repercussions. Oh, it's going to make your life easier. And we never talk about the regret that happens afterward, the health complications, the birth complications that happen, the sexual complications. We don't talk about any of that stuff. And so we've deceived a whole generation of females thinking that, oh, it's not a big deal when they're 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 putting their health at risk. Um, they're they're destroying the destinies that are coming to the world. Um, and I think men need to realize that they're held just as accountable. It's crazy because I, it reminds me of a scripture where um Jesus was talking to the religious leaders and he's like, um, you know, he was like, you all say, well, you know, 
we didn't kill the prophets. We just built their tombs. And Jesus was like, well, y'all the son of the, the murderers did because they, <laughs> they killed us and y'all building their tombs. And so I feel like it's the kind of same thing. Well, I didn't have the abortion yet, but you put her in a situation where she felt like there was no other choice. Exactly. And so these men... I mean, we're we're calling we're calling a spade a spade, and I think that men also need to step up, like you said, and take mm-hmm. responsibility and to be men. Because I've never, and I know I'm not going to say any names, but I know someone personally, and they're um, a woman they were having sexual relationships with, mm-hmm. um, a female they were having sexual relationship. They got she got an abortion, but when I considered the situation of the man, um, his financial situation, his maturity level. He really wasn't in a place where he was being a true man. And so I can see how, even though it was wrong what she did, I can see how he is just as responsible for what she did Mm -hmm. as she was. And I think that's such a great point you made because the man was held more accountable Mm -hmm. for the sin than Eve was. And so the same thing in this case, men, we we are held even more accountable in this situation. It's such a serious thing in the eyes of God for what... Well, what women are being put in position that they're now enduring and it's blood on our hands and we have to step up to the plate and and be men, you know. Exactly. I agree, man. Um, so, you know, um, the, the I guess the overall message in that that we want to give you is that um, we're not blaming women. <laughs> Just never think that, that we're blaming women. We're not blaming women at all. <clears throat> what we're blaming is the sin mentality, the sin um, answer to everything. Sin is missing the mark. It is going against what God said. And thus, because of that, there are things that we cannot, um, we cannot overlook and say, well, because it just was a certain circumstance right now. That means that I'm justified in doing this. But you're not justified in doing that because that has nothing to do with whether God's law is right or not. Yeah. It has to do with you saying a circumstances, your, a circumstance rather, caused you to make a certain type of decision. But we're not going to be looking at circumstances being the factors that cause you to make a decision. We're looking at your heart being the thing that makes you make a certain decision. Yeah. Because what's in your heart is never going to be overridden by the circumstances. Yeah. You're going to win when you do what's in your heart that's right. Your heart being right is what overcomes the circumstances, the situation that you're facing. So, like, and it's kind of like when you talk about, let's say, if a person is placed in a position where they could murder somebody with a gun. Now, What's gonna mean? What's gonna ensure, or what's going to uh, affect whether they do the murder or not? What's in their heart? Yeah. Because the same knife that's in this house is the same knife that's in that house where the murder occurred. Mm-hmm. So what was the difference? It definitely wasn't the knife. It was the person who had the knife. Right. That's the we. That's the reason for the murder occurring. Because a certain person's heart caused them to think that murder was the answer and they were going to just go ahead and do it. Yeah. Another person sees that same knife and they're like, uh, put that away before somebody gets hurt. You know what right. I'm saying? The same knife. So that's why it's not the knife, it's the person. So again, 
when we look at decisions that are being made, we have to realize that the person's heart, that's what determines what decision is going to be made. So, um, yeah, I think that uh, we did, you know, for today, we're going to stop right there. We're going to um, pick up on this the next time. The next time, man, join us because we're going to be getting into um, the scenarios for abortion that people always bring up. You know, people talk about the financial burden. They talk about rape. They talk about incest. They talk about the child's health, career advancement, the mom's health. And then we're going to also talk about recovering from abortion emotionally, spiritually, mentally. So just stay tuned. Um, we also um, going to be bringing some other guests on the show because um, we got uh, a, a person that we just came in contact with that is an author of a book that's really interesting. Um, we're getting ready to set that up and it's about abortion. Um, also, uh, we got some other people that we want to bring on here to talk about that. So just keep staying tuned. We probably got another two, at least two, maybe three more episodes on this. Okay, so this is a very important subject. Just know that even if we finish this specific episode series or whatever, that doesn't mean that this is the end of us talking about it. But the, pop, the, the point is, is that this is the beginning of um, something that needs to be addressed. We're in the season to address it. God is definitely interested in it because if he wasn't, there wouldn't be these major things happening right now. These are all indications of the spiritual things that's going on right now. So this is not a coincidence. That movie Unplanned is not a coincidence. The New York and Virginia cases are not a coincidence. The fact that this is this is a thing that um, other people are talking about real strongly right now, whether it's in the political runnings for the president and all that kind of stuff. All of this stuff is very important. And so we're going to keep on talking about it until the Lord gives us a release. So with that being said, um, Justin, will you take us out in prayer? Yeah. Um, Father, thank you so much just for just preparing our hearts for this time, God, and for all the ears that are listening, all the hearts that are open, God. We just pray that your words will go deep into the hearts of the listeners, Father, um, that they would be touched by the Holy Spirit, God. If there are anyone who are struggling with this issue or have struggled with this issue, Father, give them guidance. Let them reach out, Father, for counsel, God, um, that they might receive instruction and they might receive hope and strength and encouragement. We pray that you will surround them with good family and friends who can encourage them to make the godly decision, God, and who will come alongside them and support them, Father. And no matter what, God, that they would see that you are always the better choice, God. Yes. <laughs> Hallelujah, Father. We thank you, God. We bless your name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, once again, thank you for being on our show today. Um, um, I'm your host, Norm the Professor. You can follow me on Instagram, uh, Twitter, and Facebook. On Facebook, you can find me under Norman Brown Author. Um, and then on Twitter, it's DA for the um, Norm the Professor. And then on uh, Instagram, Norm the Professor. Look us up. And of, of course, follow the podcast, New Numa. P-N-E-U-P-N-E-U-M-A. Yep, you can find your boy Jay Foster. You can find me on Instagram just as written music. That's what's up. Well, thank you again. Have a great day. Peace. These kids, they come to my shows with tears in their eyes. Imagine someone looking at you and saying your music's the reason that they're alive. Sometimes I don't know how to handle it. This type of life isn't glamorous. This ain't an act.
for the cameras You see me walk on these stages But have no idea what I'm dealing with after it I put it all in the open This is the way that I cope with All my emotion I'm taking pictures with thousands of people But honestly I feel like nobody knows me I'm trying to deal with the pressure I'm trying to deal with the pressure How you gonna tell me my music does not have a message When I'm looking out of this crowd